The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Got to have a lot of stuff to preach, I guess. I don't know. So as we come, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is getting arrested. And what does Peter do? He pulls out a sword. And he attacks one of the guys who are trying to arrest Jesus. His intent is harm, serious physical bodily harm. What does he do? He gets an ear. He's not a soldier. He's a fisherman. <laughs> All he got was an ear. And then he got an earful because what did Jesus say? Put your sword away. Put it back in its place. Why? Because for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I cannot appeal to my Father and bring 12 legions of angels to my aid? How many is a legion? A lot. Think of a division today. That's like 12 divisions of army soldiers. Each division's 5,000-ish. Depends on the division. And how well it's manned. That's a lot of soldiers. They didn't bring that many to get Jesus. But Peter, Jesus told Peter to put his sword away. So why are we going to talk about the armor of God? The Bible speaks of spiritual battles and spiritual forces. But our role is not what you think it should be. God never calls us to slay anyone. In the Old Testament, David was a soldier in earthly battles. And David did kill people in battle as an earthly soldier. But in the Psalms, when David is praying because of his enemy, he says things like this. This is in Psalm 17, starting in verse 9. It says this, For the wicked who despoil me, my deadly enemies who surround me, they have closed their unfeeling hearts. With their mouths they speak proudly. They have surrounded us in our steps. They have cast their eyes... They have, it, they set their eyes to cast us down to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, a young lion lurking in hiding places. You ever feel like your enemies are surrounding you like that? People are attacking you, maybe not physically, but verbally. How does he pray? He continues. He goes, arise, O Lord, arise, Yahweh, and you confront them. You bring them low. Deliver my soul with your sword. From, the, from men with your hand, O Lord. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. David said, you take care of it, God. You take care of those who are attacking me. Because I can't do it. 
He calls on God to take care of his enemy. God calls you to trust him, not to fight for him. What? God calls you to trust in him. I didn't say it right the first time. God calls you to trust in him, not to fight for him. You're what? That's what our big, our big idea is today. God does not require you to defeat the devil. He requires you to stand firm and persevere. God does not require you to defeat the devil. Why? Well, because you can't. But Jesus already did. So today's scripture we're reading is from Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. If you are able, please stand as we read this. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10 through verse 20. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, that's the first word of our scripture, finally. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. With this view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf, the utterance may be given to me in opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. That is proclaiming it that I may speak boldly, as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Lord, as we examine this scripture this morning, Lord, just give your servant the words to speak, the wisdom of what to say, and wisdom of what not to say. And I pray, Lord, that these words, this scripture, will embody our soul, our mind, our spirit, and that we can live them out each and every day. We just pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Our scripture starts with finally. Well, why? Well, because we're at the end of the letter. (laughs) Chapter 6 is the last chapter of the book of Ephesians. Paul didn't put in the chapter numbers, but but we know we're getting to the end. Paul is describing who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ. You, and he does that through this whole letter. If you just flip back a page or two in chapter 1, verse 5, he says he has adopted you according to his 
good pleasure, or depending on your translation, good intentions. God chose to adopt you if you were a child of God. In in chapter 2, he describes you as you have been saved through faith, a gift of God as a result of works. He describes how you've been saved. He describes in chapter 3 how he is serving in spite of the fact that he's in prison. Paul is in prison while he's writing this with a Roman soldier probably sitting right next to him or nearby. So he could see all the soldiers' armor. And Roman soldiers were quite prevalent in that time. Now, so in our Constitution, soldiers cannot be used as a police force. The Romans had no such ideas. Romans were police also. In chapter 3, he, he also describes um, the seven ways that we are united by the, under the Holy Spirit. Actually, that's in chapter 4. That we were united in the Holy Spirit. And then he says we need to work together. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God. That's what he calls us for. And then in chapter 5, he tells us more specifically how we can become imitators of God and follow him. He tells us, he says wives, and he tells wives what they need to do. And he says, husbands, here's what you need to do. Children, here's what you need to do. Fathers, here's what you need to do. He called out fathers, but not mothers. I'm not sure what I should do about that. but anyway. And he said, slaves, servants, here's what you need to do. Masters, here's what you need to do. And so all the different roles we have in life, he was very specific and says, here's what you need to do. And then we get to the finally in chapter 6. And he tells them what we need to do. He says, first, he tells them the reason that you can stand up for Jesus. He says, stand up for Jesus. He gives you the reason. Old age, injuries, diseases make your earthly body weak. But you know what? God doesn't care. It doesn't matter to God because you are not serving God in your own strength. You are serving God with his might, not your measly muscles. You are serving God in his strength. Not with your spaghetti arms. God gives the increase, not your weak-willed mind. In verse 11, he says, put on the full armor of God. Put it on. That means it's something that's coming from you. It's coming from someplace else. And you're putting on God's armor, not man's fragile armor, useless armor. Human armor, which you got an example of some of here. There's a helmet and there's a, a shield up here. It has some value. It stops some things, but not everything. There's always a bigger bullet. It stops some small ones if they shot or something that they're far enough away that it lost their it's a momentum by the time it gets to you. But it doesn't stop everything. It's man's armor. Man's armor is not perfect. Secondly, 
Paul tells us about our enemy, who the real enemy is. Paul's enemy was not the Roman Empire, even though he was arrested by the Roman Empire. His enemy was not Caesar. His enemy was not the chief priest at the temple who had him arrested when he was in Jerusalem. Our enemy is none other than the devil himself. The devil creates schemes, even if it creates schemes to come against God and his believers. Individual people are not the enemy, even if it seems so at the time. These dark, evil, spiritual forces are who we are really up against. Evil people, even evil earthly rulers, come and go in the world. Hitler and Stalin are dead. They're no longer an enemy to us. However, Xi Jinping, ruler of China, Kim Jong-un, ruler of North Korea, the Taliban, and the president of Eritrea, Isaias Afwerki. Say that name fast. You probably never heard of that guy. Have you even heard of the country of Eritrea? It's a relatively new country. It broke off from, uh, from Somalia. Ethi- I'm sorry, from Ethiopia. And he's a dictatorship. He hates Christians. He arrests whole Christian families. And your prison cell might be a cargo, a shipping container set out in the African sun. And there's no windows. When I was deployed, sometimes my housing was basically a converted shipping container. But we had an AC unit that usually worked. so, And they'd build shades over the top of them. He doesn't do that. That's a small country. Most of us never heard of it. But he is an enemy of God. But you know what? All these leaders, they're just pawns in a spiritual war being used by the devil. Yet God has given you his strength to stand against them even if they kill your body. You can stand up to them even if they throw you in that shipping container. Even if they execute you which they will in Iran if you start witnessing the Muslims. The Taliban will kill you just for not, being a Muslim, for not being a Muslim. In China, if your church is not registered with the state and had the sermons pre-approved by a government official, it's an illegal church. And everybody in attendance is liable to be arrested, lose their jobs. A pastor will be charged with sedition and they will bulldoze the building that you're meeting in. And if it's a state church, you've got to put a picture of the President Jing Jinping up here somewhere next to the cross. But God will give you the strength to do what? To stand firm. To stand firm. Against, against, against. It says Satan is against us. It uses the word against four times in verses 11 and 12. He is against us. He is not for you. Thirdly, Paul tells us that we are to be, how to be equipped for life's battles. 
in verses 13 to 17. This is the part you want to know because here's where we talk about all the armor, right? But Paul talks about that. He says, put on the armor. He says, take it up. Put it on. It doesn't do any good sitting here on the table. It doesn't do you any good until you're wearing it. I'm not going to put it on. Don't worry. Um, I don't have... But it doesn't do any good to put that stuff on, to use it unless you put it on. It's his armor. Like this is the U.S. Army's armor and stuff. I didn't build it. I didn't have to put it in my own hands. Some, some army contractor did. Soldiers don't build their own armor. It come, it's provided by their commander. God's army is no different. There is a belt down there. It's hard to see, but there's a belt. I got the shoes. I got the helmet. I had to borrow some of these from other people. I don't have all these anymore. And there's a shield that you put in a vest carrier. And there's one for the front, and there's one for the back. And that thing weighs about 12 pounds, I think, is what the weight on it is. It's, It's not light. You put a couple of them on, it weighs you down. The helmet weighs about eight pounds. Makes your health a bobblehead when you put that thing on. <laughs> but he says, put all that on. Yet, they're not, in the earthly sense, they're not perfect. But it helps to illustrate what God does for us. So we start with the belt of truth. There's a belt there, I'm wearing a belt. Jesus says, says, the belt of truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also says, I am the true vine. God is truth. Satan is called a deceiver and a liar and the father of lies. And in the letter of 1 John, it says, we are, to, we are to discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The spirit of truth testifies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Every spirit that denies this truth is against Christ, hence an antichrist. Not the antichrist, an antichrist. Everybody who denies Jesus is an antichrist, lowercase. Follow the truth. Where do you find the truth? Only in Scripture. Not in your own imagination. It's not in the news. It's not in the education system. The belt of truth. It's useful for many things. You, you, you know, the soldiers in that day, that's where they, they put their sword. They attached a sword to their belt. It held up their clothes when they girded up their loins. Keeps my pants up. But you know what? It's helpful because other people can rescue me with that belt. If I'm in danger, somebody can reach around behind me and grab that right there and pull me back out of, out of danger. Really. That's what a belt's for. That's teaching. If somebody's in danger, you've got to get them out of the way. You grab that belt and yank them back. That belt will save your life. And somebody else can use that belt of truth to save your life. Be grounded in the truth. Stay in the truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Abraham was declared righteous by his faith. 
God is the only one who can declare someone righteous because only God is righteous. A chest plate protects your vital organs. It's an added layer of protection over your rib cage. You receive righteousness because God has chosen and adopted you. He protects you. By living in a righteous life means you are rejecting sin in your life. You're pulling on that plate. And that's not a, like I said, the, the Roman soldiers, they had a plate that was usually made out of leather and wood. And I've, I've seen some different videos over the years on how well that leather stops an arrow. You wouldn't think that just leather would stop an arrow, but it does. Now, this will stop an arrow usually, most of them. But, you know, it's, it's made to stop small arms, an AK-47 if he's not too close to you. Um, but it can only do it once. It will only work once because then it shatters and it's done its job. And then you got to get a new one for the next time. But it does work. I've seen videos of soldiers getting knocked down and then get back up and walk away. It does work. But it worked. But in our in, in the spiritual world, it only works because of God. A righteous proudly wear God's righteousness, even when the world ridicules you. Those that armor chest plate that the Romans will wear, that's part of their uniform. You can see it. That shows who they are. They would decorate it depending on which legion they are part of. So proudly wear God's righteousness, even if the world ridicules you. The shoes for the gospel of peace. Now, it seems ironic. We're talking about all this war stuff, and the shoes bring peace. Now, in war, the shoe brings the soldier who brings destruction. What's the purpose of a soldier? To kill people and to break things. That's what you do in war. That's essentially what, the, that's what an army is for. But it says here, it brings peace. Now, to the world, peace means no fighting. And so sometimes a soldier does bring peace because you eliminate the enemy. Now you don't have anybody to fight. But that's not what this is here. Jesus says that his gospel will divide families. That doesn't sound very peaceful. The gospel, because of the gospel, you will be ridiculed. You could be arrested. You could even be executed. And depending when and where you've lived in this world, that, all those things can happen. How then can it be peace? Earlier in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, verse 13, it says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you, were for, you who were formerly awe, far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. He said both groups. Who are these two groups? Jews and Gentiles. Throughout Jewish history, you either a Jew or you were not a Jew and you were a Gentile. You were not a follower of God. But because of Jesus Christ, those two could become united and worship together. He is our peace. Jesus is the peace. He is our peace because he's also made peace between us and God. But think about how he brings people together. Just look around this room. 
how we are united as brothers and sisters in Christ. There are rich and poor, depending on how you define it. There are old, there are young. There are educated, and then there's not, they're not so educated. There are those of different nationalities and ethnic groups, no matter the skin color. And we can all come together in peace because of what Jesus has done. The sacrifice that Jesus also brings peace between us and God's judgment. We have that eternal peace. You no longer face the eternal damnation that is hell because of the peace of Jesus. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You say, that's in, that's in Romans chapter 10. You know what? It's also in Isaiah 52.7. That is not a new concept. Paul, Paul, Paul got all this stuff from the Old Testament. He, he didn't invent anything new here. We have that peace that the shoes bring. And you know, shoes matter. Shoes, if you, you don't have good feet, don't have good shoes, you're not going to get anywhere. If I tried to join the army in the 1960s, I they wouldn't have let me join because I had flat feet. But we have better shoes now. So they let me in. The shield of faith. Now, I don't have a shield up here because we don't use a shield. You are saved by faith. Faith produces works of righteousness. Faith negates the attacks of Satan. A shield, that's the handheld shield that the Roman soldiers carried. And when they were in a whole group and a phalanx, they could all put their shields side by side and hold them up above, and they were like a walking tank. And they stuck their spears out the side that if you tried to get close to them. But that shield of faith, those shields were designed that if you shot a fire, a fire arrow, it would extinguish the arrow when it hit that shield, and the shield would not catch on fire. It's amazing how much that shield could stop. And so it's a, it's, it, it negates the attacks of Satan. Just look in the book of Acts. Peter was arrested to be executed. But he was so at peace that he fell asleep in prison the night before his execution. And he was so asleep that when the angel showed up to rescue him, the angel had to kick him to wake him up. Would you sleep that soundly the night before your execution? I don't know if I would. Well, maybe you'd be more like Paul and Silas. They also were in jail. They weren't supposed to be executed, but they were in jail. They didn't sleep. They stayed up all night, but they sang. That is also in faith, because I'm sure the other prisoners were like, well, you all shut up. I'm trying to sleep. And they kept singing until God rescued them with an earthquake. For both, their faith sustained them, even though the schemes of the devil had them arrested for following Jesus. It didn't stop them from being arrested. Their faith did not stop them from being arrested. But their faith sustained them, even though they were arrested. 
your faith may not stop all the schemes of the devil from causing you bodily harm or emotional harm. But your faith can sustain you through it. The helmet of salvation. The Romans also had very distinctive helmets. Your salvation comes from where? Comes from God. God has given you his helmet. You show up at the unit, they issue equipment, somebody hands me a helmet. They go, what size are you? I'm going, I don't know. I'm new here. I don't know what size helmet I have. But they figure it out. God gives you a helmet. He knows your size, by the way. He has given you the helmet, and you accepted it because, what does it say in Romans? That you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it was with a heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. When you do those things, you take that helmet, and you put it on. And what's distinctive about helmets? Everybody's helmet's different. You can tell, usually can tell the nationality of a person by the helmet they wear because everybody's is different. It was no different in the old ancient world. It's really not that different today, except sometimes we supply helmets to other countries. But, I mean, think about World War II. If you look at a silhouette of an American, a British, a Japanese, a German soldier, they all have different helmets. It just says whose side you're on. You have the helmet of salvation. You belong to God. Tell others whose side you're on. Be on God's side. Wear his helmet. Choose God's salvation today. And the last item, the sword. I didn't bring one. I, I could. I did. My son has one. He bought one, but I didn't bring it. But what's the sword? It's the sword of the Spirit that is the word of God. It's the only offensive item listed here. Shoes, belt, helmet, shields, breastplate, those are all defensive things to deflect attackers coming on. Only the helmet or only the sword is for attacking. But what does the word sword represent? It says the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Our only weapon is the words of God. Jesus wielded this weapon when he was in the, de- in the wilderness being attacked by Satan in Matthew chapter 4. Every time Satan made an attempt to sidetrack Jesus. Jesus answered with Scripture. Even Satan attempted to use Scripture against Jesus, but he misused it. And Jesus corrected him with Scripture. If Jesus used Scripture to stand firm, then shouldn't you? Read Scripture. Memorize Scripture. Meditate on Scripture. Pray Scripture. Sing Scripture. Learn what the Scripture means and what it doesn't mean. Study under godly teachers, not just any video that pops up on your feed. 
Some of them aren't very, don't understand Scripture very well. They just want your money. Don't just learn from people who make you feel good emotionally. Learn from those who study the hard Scriptures, the ones that are hard to understand, the ones that, like, I don't really want to agree with this one, but it's what God says. Learn from those who study all the scriptures, not just the few that they like. Learn scripture. Be equipped. And fourthly, in Paul's thing here, we have a battle plan. You are equipped with a battle plan. No army goes into battle without a battle plan. In fact, this whole set of scripture here is much like an army operational order, an op order. Well, we have, the, uh, we, have the, we have the situation God sets up. We have the description of the enemy forces. Then we have descriptions of the friendly forces when we look at the, the armor of God. And now we have the plan of action. In verses 18 to 20, we have our plan of action. What do we do in battle? When, how does it begin? It begins with prayer and petition. Look how many times all is used in these verses. All prayer. Pray at all times. With all the saints, all perseverance for all the saints. All, 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 all. It means a lot. Your first action is to stand still and pray. Yes, that is how you begin to stand firm and be strong in the Lord. That is how you obtain the strength of his might. That it says back in verse 10. This is how you stand firm against the schemes of the devil. This is how you put on the armor of God. You do it in prayer. How do you pray? Pray for, for the above. Pray for your armor of God. Pray that you can stand firm. In verse 19, it says, pray to keep alert. As you pray, ask God to show you the schemes of the devil. In the army, we call that situational awareness. Be aware of your situation. What's around you? Where are the people congregating? Where are vehicles at? Where are their windows above your head? You go into a room, where are all the exits? Where are the windows? Be aware of your situation. Be aware of the type of people around you. And as Christians, we need to do that too. Not so we can shoot them, so that we can pray for them. So that we can bring the gospel of peace to them. As you pray, pray that you will persevere. We don't like that word, do we? Because if you're persevering, that means there's some struggle you're going through. It's like praying for patience. <laughs> praying for humbleness. Mm. Perseverance. You only need to persevere when it's a hard, something hard to go through. The barn out there has been all painted. If I had to paint that barn by myself, there would have been a lot of perseverance happening. <laughs> My brain don't do that very well.
So I thank you, Jeff, for getting that, and Isaiah and Robert for painting the barn. Because it wouldn't be done if I had to do it. I wouldn't have persevered. But persevere until when? When can we stop persevering? When we have a funeral for you. Until the day you die. Some days will be easier to persevere than others. You may live long like the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John and Revelation in those letters. He was an old man when he wrote those things. You may persevere until the end. But you may be like his brother James, who was executed for his faith in the book of Acts, the first apostle that was executed. He didn't have to persevere long. Who do you pray for? Pray for the saints of God. Who are the saints of God? All those who wear the helmet of salvation. Well, I'm not a saint of God. If you are a child of God, you are. You are a saint. You are a holy one. Not in the sense that the Catholic Church teaches, where you have to be some super Christian and people pray to you and you answer their prayers. That's part of the requirements. You are a saint because you are a holy one. You belong to God. Pray for the saints of God. So you pray for each other in the church. Look around. Pray for everybody. Pray for all these other people. When you get the new directory, you can start using that. But you can also use the, the things that we send out on Facebook, that we put on our Facebook group. They have the names every day. If you've got a great memory, you can just pray for memory. That's not me. Um, but who else? Pray for the pastors. Pray for the deacons. Pray for the teachers. Pray for the musicians. Pray for the door greeters. Thank you, Annabeth. Pray for the lawnmowers. Pray for the finance team. Pray for the design team. Pray for the decorating team that puts all this stuff up here. Pray for the hospitality team. And pray for the brother or sister that's looking at you in the mirror. They need prayer too. Pray for your brothers and sisters and churches across Kansas City. Pray for our brothers and sisters in, in, in churches throughout the state of Missouri and Kansas. And pray for our brothers and sisters that are in the other, uttermost parts of the world. Pray for those that you know personally. Pray for those you only read about in the news or in a missionary report. Pray for those unnamed ones who are attacked. Because they are. If you pay attention to the news. Recently, a, a, a pastor and his son were at a church in rural Nigeria, and they were killed by Muslim extremists. They were executed at church. So pray for them. Pray for that church. Pray that their witness will go out. Pray for those who attack them. That God will convert them. Because what is impossible for God? Nothing. So pray for them. Muslims are coming to Christ in record numbers in recent years across the world. A lot of them in Iran. They say more people have come to Christ in Iran since the 
the, the Iranian Revolution in 1979, then all the time from Muhammad until 1979, from 700-ish A.D. to 1979, the number of people that came to Christ was few. But since 1979, the numbers are growing. It's one of the reasons that the, 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 the leadership of Iran is having so many problems because so many people are coming to Christ. That's why Czechoslovakia revolted against the Soviet occupation is because of Christians became. Not that they fought, because some of them walked down the street just walking down the street and facing soldiers with guns, and they had nothing. And they just walked. And some of them died. Some of them were arrested. One of the, I'm not sure, is he still at the, at the seminary? One of the, one of, when I was there, one of the professors came from Czechoslovakia, and he had been in jail for his faith. And then how do you pray? Paul says to pray that they boldly proclaim the gospel. Boldly. It could be translated fearlessly. Pray that you and me, that's good English, will tell others about the gospel, no matter their earthly consequences. What are the consequences? Well, they could say no. They could laugh at you. They might punch you. They could. They could arrest you, depending on who you talk to, what country you're in. They could execute you. Remember, Paul is in jail for his faith when he's writing this. He says, pray for me that I will speak boldly, even though he's already been arrested for being bold. He didn't say that he, that he would proclaim the gospel perfectly. He said fearlessly. There's a difference, isn't there? Well, I can't proclaim the gospel because I don't know this, this, and this. A, there's two steps to that. A, we'll learn those things. B, tell the gospel anyways. You don't have to do it perfectly. So, what is, it, what is this scripture about? It's about God's plan for your life. His plan is for you to fierce, fearlessly stand firm in the strength and the might of God the Father, for you are in his army. His plan is for you to put on his armor. His plan is for you to do this in his might. It does not matter how physically strong or how or how physically healthy you are. It doesn't matter how many calories you have or don't have. It doesn't matter what your current career is. It doesn't matter what skills you have. It doesn't matter if you are eloquent in speech, you, how eloquent you are or you ain't. As I'm standing up here stuttering. It doesn't matter what your age is, whether you're young or old or somewhere in the middle. God only commands you that you stand firm where you are with the knowledge that you have today. He didn't say charge ahead. He said stand firm. Your strength comes from God, not from yourself. This is the will of God in your life because he's already equipped you to serve. He's already issued the armor. Put it on. 
stand firm. And as you execute the battle plan, pray. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for all that you provide. We thank you for your words, the scripture, the sword of the spirit. Help us to use it well. Help us to use it fearlessly. And help us to praise you that we are in your army, that you you have adopted us. You have given us the helmet of salvation and we put it on gladly. And help us to be your servants all our living days, however many that is. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Before